Hello, my name is John Stringfall, and you're listening to No Strangers Here on 88.5 FM, WCUG Cougar Radio. For this semester, uh, I wanted to incorporate a more chronological continuity uh, to follow along with for the listeners and for myself as the host of the radio show. I chose this idea because in the past episodes, I've struggled to keep up with or to maintain the sort of themes uh, that go along with the poetry that I read. Most of the poems that I've read on here sort of follow along towards a more positive, more optimistic view as opposed to something that is more I suppose negative (laughs) would be the word but um, though I'm still trying to aim for a more positive optimistic sort of viewpoint so that this radio show can be more or less a haven (laughs) I guess uh, for listeners because the world out there is already so dangerous (laughs) and can be pretty messed up at times and um, especially with last year we saw a lot of that come to come to surface so I I want to follow along a more chronological oriented radio show in terms of poetry So with each episode, I will be reading a poem from a certain century, and with every continuing episode, um, it will follow moving towards up until what I hope to be modern day. And so I thought, what sort of poem should I start off with reading? You know, what, what would be the right choice to begin with in terms of beginning this sort of chronological continuity project in with the radio show here and i didn't want to go so far back as to stuff like cadman's hymn or beowulf um or even canterbury tales i thought that was maybe a little too archaic um for the audience but i did want to start within the past uh not not as far as beowulf but Maybe a little after that. <laughs> so today, I thought it would be a great opportunity to read um, from a poet who has been recognized by uh, people who study and analyze poetry. He's more or less considered to be one of the very first English poets to ever uh, introduce the Italian sonnet to the English language in, uh, in poetry. Um, his name is Thomas Wyatt. He was a poet. He was also a politician during the 16th century. Uh, And this would be in Europe, of course. Um, But not only did he help introduce the Italian sonnet, he also experimented with stanza forms as well, uh, and was also believed to introduce the Poulter's measurer form. Uh, And that is, for all those English majors listening out, uh, that is a couplet in which a 12-syllable iambic line uh, follows along a rhyming pattern with, I believe it's every other line, 
or I could be mistaken. I believe it's every other line. Uh, but this form, along with the sonnet, was popularized during the English Renaissance. So we have Thomas Wyatt partially to thank for helping introduce and incorporate uh, these sorts of styles and these sorts of um, forms that were either unheard of or uh, not readily used during his time period and afterwards. Um, while reading about Thomas Wyatt, I also found out that he was a great admirer of Geoffrey Chaucer, uh, the writer of the Canterbury Tales, and in many of his poems, actually, uh, he would use the similar vocabulary or even some of the same vocabulary found in many of Chaucer's poems. And analysts who uh, study and read poetry also found, or at least believe, Wyatt to be one of the very earliest satirists uh, in English poetry. And given that, I thought it would be a great opportunity to read one of his poems called Lux, My Fair Falcon, which in and of itself is quite a satirical poem, <laughs> which makes sense for why people believe him to be a very one of the very earliest uh, satirists. Uh, the poem itself is very short. Um, it's not this grand epic, you know, opus or anything, uh, but it really does touch on a lot of themes within society uh, as we see it today, even. And though I've said something similar to this before on the show, um, I'm still quite appalled of how much our society has changed and at the same time retained its old formats on how we interact with one another, how we perceive one another, and how we commerce between each other. And for Thomas Wyatt here, this poem follows along something that's honestly one of the biggest problems perhaps or one of the biggest issues that we see between people and what that issue is is trust or the lack of it and so this poem follows along that theme of mistrust or betrayal or finding out people aren't exactly who they say to be or people aren't exactly what you had imagined they were Yet at the same time, Thomas Wyatt in this poem, at least the speaker of this poem, doesn't forget his own position. He doesn't try to play the hero, uh, and he doesn't try to act as if he's more virtuously better than anyone else. He doesn't try to pretend as if he is the center of the universe. He recognizes his own place, while at the same time he's making sure everybody recognizes their own <laughs> um, so I'll go ahead and read it uh, this is Lux My Fair Falcon by Thomas Wyatt written during the 16th century Lux My Fair Falcon and your fellows all how well pleasant and were your liberty Ye not forsaken me, that fair might ye befall. 
but they that sometime liked my company. Like lice away from dead bodies they crawl. Lo, what a proof in light adversity. But yea, my birds, I swear by all your bells, ye but my friends, and so be but few else. So right away, <laughs> we, we already see this sort of satirist in Thomas White here um, on how he, on the outside of the poem, on the first reading, how he seems as though he trusts, you know, birds uh, over people. <laughs> he, he seems to have more of a willing outlook to believing or trusting well, in this case, a falcon, than he would anyone else. But upon a more closer observation, or what a many of your professors may call a second reading, uh, we see that this poem isn't necessarily about a falcon, but it focuses on the ideas of what luck is. It follows the ideas of what friendship is, um, trust or mistrust. So the first line is, Lux my fair falcon and your fellows all. So right there, this this poem opens up with Thomas Wyatt's uh, speaker saying, I and everyone else here sees luck as our fair falcon. And of course, what is the idea of what a fair falcon is? Well, we can imagine what fair is as being something that's nice or pretty, or fair as being something that's equal, something that's agreeable. And the imagery of what a falcon is, we know it to be a very majestic, very large. Uh, even sometimes a falcon is known to be considered as being noble or even brave. So if we know that luck, the idea of being lucky, as being the imagery of a fair falcon, that not only belongs to us, but belongs to everyone, brings in this sort of idea that our emotions are, or how we expect our emotions to be, as sort of a bartering system. You know, luck isn't always in our favor. Luck is, in fact, the very opposite of being in anyone's favor. The idea of being lucky is one chance out of a billion. No, it's one chance against the universe, right? Being lucky. And the imagery of a flying falcon or a fair falcon only appears maybe a couple times in one's life. We don't see falcons all the time, you know, flying overhead. Sometimes we see hawks or other birds, but the occasional falcon is a rare sight. So the idea of the rarity of seeing a falcon or being close to a falcon, along with the rarity of luck introduces how Thomas White's speaker and his listeners all have something in common here. Within the next line, the speaker talks of how pleasant his listeners' liberties are. Now, liberty, we know liberty goes by many names. You know, Lady Liberty, perhaps the statue in New York. Um, we know liberty to be sort of liberation from oppressors, uh, but if you look up the definition of liberty, it more falls in line with the idea of freedom. 
it, the idea of being able to live one's own life without having to depend upon or look to others. And, you know, who wouldn't want to have a life full of freedom? Who doesn't want to have free will, right? So, the speaker here addresses the crowd saying, we all have luck, we've all seen it, we've all had it at one point. But he also goes on to say that how much he admires and how much he enjoys his audience, his listeners, the people around him, his acquaintances, his friends. He enjoys their free lifestyles, the way they live. He, he admires it. He enjoys it. But at the same time, he says, as much as I enjoy your way of living and as much as I enjoy how you choose to live, you better not, <laughs> you better not forsake me for that fair might ye befall. Which basically means that this speaker is saying, I enjoy the way you live, even though it may be different from my own. But you better not come after me. <laughs> you, you, you shouldn't try to address me or say that my way of living is wrong or that you you curse me to have a way a bad way of living because that same fate may happen onto you it sort of falls along the lines with the saying treat others how you expect to be treated essentially what i gather from this poem is that those first opening lines are some of what thomas watt is saying addressing that they all have something in common saying how much he enjoys and admires and likes to be with those who have a free will, who have a different life other than his own. But he also says that I'm going to treat you this way because that's the way you ought to be treated. But you also should reciprocate those same feelings towards the way I live. And when hearing these words, you got to think, well, that sounds like something that my parents once told me. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like something I learned in school, you know, growing up. And it's one of those things that I mentioned before that amazes me, that I, I, I find incredibly interesting that these sort of lessons have been in human history, have followed the ages for so long. They may not read the same way and they may not be expressed the same way and they may not always have the same story attached to them the same parable but it's the same lesson nonetheless in the next following lines uh, our speaker talks of those who may have betrayed him those who have misplaced his trust but they that sometime liked my company, like lice away from dead bodies they crawl. Lo, what a proof in light adversity. So, the, the line after the speaker says, fair might ye befall, he talks about those who have been or acted like true friends to him. Those who tried to get in close to him but weren't trying to be his friends. They were trying to get something out of him. They were trying to 
either earned something, whether it was, you know, power, whether it was fame, whether it was money, who knows, the speaker doesn't say what, but he does make it a point that whoever they were, when they did get what they were wanting out of him, they left like lice that crawl away from a dead body. And so, again, that's another image that many of us can understand. That's another idea that we can feel empathetic towards. Because I'm sure many of us have expressed those same sentiments when it came to people who we thought were our friends, but turns out they weren't. And that's sorely unfortunate that that shouldn't happen. You know, like Thomas Wyatt said in the opening, we should all enjoy one another's lives while at the same time treating everybody with respect. But what's also interesting about this is that how Thomas Wyatt treats the altercation he's had with these false friends, these people who pretended to be his friends, instead of getting overly upset about it, instead of letting it tarnish his life, instead of letting it get in the way, he kind of just brushes it off in a way. Um, almost as if it were, you know, as if it were a joke. <laughs> you know, he, he the, the following line is, Lo, what a proof in light adversity. Light adversity. Well, what does that necessarily mean? You know, it's that doesn't necessarily sound like he's upset, but at the same time, it doesn't sound like he's overly happy about it. So when we think of what adversity is, we see adversity as being difficult or as being misfortune towards someone. Sometimes we label it as being like bad luck or someone's in trouble when they are experiencing a sort of adversity, whether it's with someone else or whether it's against, you know, nature <laughs> or whether it's an adversity against an unforeseen, invisible force that weighs us down um, that we can't quite put our finger on. So when he says that this is a proof in light adversity, I guess we can interpret that as being that this isn't something substantial. You know, there's nothing to gain from putting our minds constantly in the idea that everyone's against us. Yes, there are going to be people out there who are going to mistreat us, those who don't respect us, and those who pretend to. But, much like Thomas Wyatt, perhaps he's saying that we shouldn't focus on those ideas, that we ought to move on, that we ought to brush it off in the same way he does, as if it's just a light joke. Because he, again, <laughs> he says that this was a proof in light adversity. This wasn't something that was too terribly troubling. This wasn't something that ended his life. This wasn't something that came crashing down on him. He simply said, I don't care. <laughs> and I'm moving on. Which, again, that's incredibly inspiring to think about. You know, we hear about how easy it is to move on. But when you read it in terms of poetry, and when you read it, especially something that's dating back to the 16th century, 
it makes you wonder, had life always been this way? Was there ever a point where friendship or the lack of friendship were different than how we see it today? And surprisingly, it appears not. (laughs) Unfortunately, it, it appears that life has been this way, and it's been this way for a long time. And though perhaps some of you may think, though, that's obvious. You know, that's something that, you know, anyone can guess. That's something that anyone can know. But if you really give it some time and you really think about it, it's astonishing to think that people have always been this way. And that isn't saying that everyone is this way. Of course not. There are tons of wonderful, great people out there, both today and well into the past. But you have to be wary. You have to be aware of where you are. You have to make sure you know what you're doing. And you have to be conscious of those around you. And I think that's what Thomas White is saying here. In the last two lines, Wyatt's protagonist or his speaker in this says, But ye, my birds... I swear by all your bells, ye be my friends, and so be but few else. So again, the birds, the idea of falcons being the only true friends, as opposed to the people who have done Wyatt wrong in the past. Of course, birds can have many different connotations here. Um, For example, in pop culture within the last 40, 50 years, the term birds could be attributed to women, um, especially in the more European, uh, UK areas. Um, the word bird was often referred to a girl or uh, a woman. But this is in the 16th century and we have to try to view it as such. As important as it is to look at poetry and analyze it and theorize what it means with our more modern eyes, it's also vitally important that we recognize the time period it's coming from and seeing how those themes link together with that time period to our own. So ye my birds... Perhaps he's saying this in address to the real people he trusts. Perhaps he's saying this to the people he considers as being real and true friends. And he says how he swears by their bells. And that bells, those can be thought to be in connection with how many birds of prey when they're owned or when they are in shows how they have little bells attached to their ankles and how those bells tend to ring when they fly or when they walk. But at the same time, bells also has perhaps a symbolic meaning of holiness or or something pure. We often think of bells as being the rebirth of something. The, the, The ringing of a bell announces the dawn of a new day or the next hour or perhaps the ringing of a bell is a signal to something new. Wyatt's speaker here says, Ye be my friends, and so be but few else. So in a way, Wyatt's speaker here is saying that I've had an experience with terrible people in the past, but I'm going to 
brush it off because they are no longer in my life and I'm not going to let them be in my life anymore. And for all of those out there, all those birds who are my true friends, all those honest, generous people who are true to themselves and true to me, I hear your bells. I witness and recognize your morals and virtues and your liberties of life. And you will be my true friends. You will be the ones who I stay with. And what else are friends for, you know? Friends are there to help. Friends are there to support. Friends are there to love. They're there when you want to hang out. They're there when you want to talk and share your feelings. Friends are there for when you want to celebrate occasions with. Friends are what make life enjoyable many times. And when you find someone you love and you begin sharing your life with that person, I will say nine times out of ten, in fact, 99 times out of a hundred, those people start off as your friends. You get to learn about them. You get to know them. You get to share with them. And then, you know, love hits you. (laughs) And then you start a relationship with that person. So, the idea of friendship in a way has still been the same all throughout the centuries from the 16th century up until today the 21st century the idea the 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 moral justification the foundation of friendship is still there like i said it may be expressed in different words and maybe shared in a different way but the overall grounded emotion there that lies in between the lines of that poem that follows along with Thomas Wyatt's word choice is still profound and still there and it's still something that I think that we're all looking for and wanting to enjoy and friends are out there I myself had have had many a time trying to find good friends trying to find friends that I can really count upon um, and really feel confident and comfortable with sharing and thankfully I can say that I have found good friends ones that I can count upon and trust and I assure you anyone who is listening to this you too will find good friends you too will find friends who will make life even better and I hope that all my listeners here uh, who enjoy this show I hope they consider themselves as friends to me and I a friend to them because the whole idea of this platform, the whole idea of this concept of this radio show was a way for me not only to express my love and my admiration for poetry, but also it was supposed to act as a gateway to those who want to learn or want to express or want to enjoy poetry as much as I do. And that's the whole idea of this poetry show, No Strangers Here, the title of the show derives from a quote by W.B. Yeats. The quote being, There are no strangers here, only friends you haven't yet met. And that is a sentiment that I've carried 
or at least I hope I've carried along with uh, this show. For the next uh, segment of the show, the next episode, if you want to call it that, <laughs> uh, I plan to look into perhaps the late 16th century or move on into the early 17th century. Um, and with every continuing episode, I plan to cover or at least try in my attempt to cover poems from each successive century and to make sure that I have a more chronological sounded linear path with every episode building up the idea of what poetry is seeing how it's changed and evolved over time overall I, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you look forward to the many episodes to come I know I'm certainly excited about this new idea um, and I hope to also introduce other ideas and other project ideas in the nearby future Uh, I hope you have a great day. Thank you to Columbus State's Comm Department for the space and equipment provided for the show. Thank you to Dr. Gibson, the department chair. Thank you to Dr. Getz, WCUG's faculty advisor. Uh, you can listen to this show on 88.5 FM Cougar Radio, TuneIn, or SoundCloud. Thank you for listening. <laughs>